Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Jim Suhan from Ford Field in Detroit, where the Minnesota Vikings fell 30 to 20. Was that the final score? <laughs> final score does not matter. The Vikings fall to 7 and 10, are not going to be going into the playoffs 2 and 4 on the season. A merciful end to an injury marred year in a game that, again, the score, everything didn't really matter about where this ended up but it was more of the same in terms of the offense in terms of the defense i'm on ross st brown running wild um jim you wrote about justin jefferson and that's where i want to start another incredible game passes a thousand yards in just 10 games averaged over 100 yards a game this season uh but you wouldn't have thought he had a 200 yard game by watching him on the field uh, he seemed very upset, very agitated much of the game. He seemed upset early because he wasn't getting the ball. Uh, Might have been upset by some of the later play calls. And he still ends up being incredibly productive. So, listen, this is a, a horrible season in a lot of ways. If we learned anything positive about this group, it's that you know Jefferson never used not getting a contract as a reason to hold out, to hold in, to not give full effort. He, you know, he never seemed to contemplate sitting out when he was hurt uh, for a team that looked like it was going nowhere. Uh, so combination of his skill, his competitiveness, uh, mental toughness, he ends up producing you know, an incredible 10-game stretch. Uh, and not that I guess it shouldn't be surprising to us, but these were different circumstances than he's had before. Well, and I think the other thing there is, I mean, think about how much we heard it the chatter about will he play, will he sit out when he doesn't have a contract, and a lot of that is coming at a national level, and you can surmise where a lot of that is, what a lot of that is being fueled by. But I think it's fairly safe to say, reading tea leaves there, and there's some of the conversations you have behind the scenes, he probably had to tune out some of the voices that were telling him to do that, to say, you know, Take care of yourself. Don't go back out there without a contract. Don't put yourself on the line as much as you are. To whatever extent that was happening, he obviously didn't let it affect him. He went out and, I mean, a lot of the plays you see him make are the ones we've seen him make in the past where he's making contested catches. He's getting drilled. He gets back up. The first game against these guys, when Kirby Joseph hits him, Kirby Joseph gets a concussion. Jefferson just pops right back up. And and it looked initially like Jefferson took the worst of it, but he's the one that pops up and just kind of says, okay, on to the next play. There is a level of fire with him that, you know, people were at kind of talking about all of the, the stuff you saw on the sidelines early and I asked Kevin O'Connell about it afterwards and kind of to Jim's point, he said, yeah, he, he wasn't probably terribly happy he wasn't getting the ball early, but a lot of it late seemed to be from a place of, I just want to win. And for a guy that they want to be the fixture of this thing for a long time there does seem to be a level of distaste for losing that i think will serve him and them well in the future grand casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion the hope the anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. 
Yeah, you said a stat before the game that floored me that he's played played more playoff games at LSU yes. than he has for the Minnesota Vikings through four years, and that is just with one college football playoff appearance. <laughs> that he has played more games in a tournament that lets four teams in in three years at LSU than a tournament that lets 14 teams in in four years with the Vikings. Yeah, and that's that's going to be something that he wants to turn around this offseason and who's going to be quarterbacking this team, who's going to be throwing him the ball. All those things are incredibly relevant for his future in Minnesota, as is his uh, pending contract extension that everybody is still waiting on. Um, you talk about fire and, and not liking the losing. Something Harrison Smith said after the game that made me think of what he had to say. This could have been his last game as a Viking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just watching what he's been through. I mean, you talk about guys that have not played very many playoff games. I think it ends up now if, in fact, this is it for him. We don't know, and we're not going to know probably for a little while. It sounded like – I mean, he basically said, I want to take some time. I just had a kid. I'm going to get away from it for a little bit and kind of go from there. I mean, this will be a March conversation. But I think at the moment he's played seven playoff games with the Vikings and six Pro Bowls. So – Another guy that a lot of individual success and has not been on a lot of teams that have had winning records. And I asked him just because I've I've covered him since year. I mean, my first year on the beat was his rookie year, so I've covered the whole thing. And I just said to him, and I've I've seen you in this spot a lot where the season ends not the way you want, and it took him a minute to to compose himself, which is not something you see from Harrison Smith a ton. I mean, he had to turn away and and gather himself, and he comes back and says. If you ever get used to losing, you're a loser. So there is, I think, a level of fire and a level of desire to win and desire to take this thing to a high level that still burns fairly deeply within him. And I think it does for a lot of these guys, especially the ones that play at the level that both Harrison Smith and Justin Jefferson have done it. But it's a it's a reminder, I think, for, for people that watch it, it, for those of us that cover it, that there's a lot of emotion, a lot of um, intensity that goes into that for these guys. And you see some of those things, even in a 7-10 season, even kind of a, a throwaway year that's going to not be remembered for very long. You see when it comes to an end that this stuff affects these guys. Harrison basically said without saying, he didn't officially announce it or make any declaration, but he, he basically said he's, he's going to retire and saying that um, – you know, he mentioned that the decision hasn't been made, but he said it's hard to and difficult to continue playing when you have the ability, but not necessarily the desire. And he said, I don't mean to, you know, you know, I don't know if I said too much or he said, I don't know if that's going to give it away. But, you know, a final decision has yet to come with Harrison. But he said, my shoulder hurts right now. That's what I'm thinking about uh, going into this offseason. Jim, after 12 years in Minnesota, if this is it, how will you look back on his time here? I think he's probably a borderline Hall of Fame candidate. I think he's probably a Hall of Famer, but I also realize that the NFL Hall of Fame is bizarre. You're comparing, you know, guards from single wing offenses in 1950 to safeties playing the passing era. It's it's yes. So I think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't know if he'll get in, um, you know, but combination of durability, reliability. You know, so many big plays when he was in his prime. I have wondered watching him the last year, this last season. God, is it any fun to be out there right now? You know, you're losing. Your team's getting torched. 
you're not going anywhere, you're older, you're not making the big plays you once made, you've got to be taking a physical beating. I mean, I, I have a memory. Uh, his rookie year, I went up to him and said, hey, you're leading with your head a lot. Have you given any thought to your own personal safety? And he said, nope, I'm just going to keep doing it. And then later in his career, you know, like most people, he matured a little bit and he realized, no, oh, maybe leading with the crown on my helmet's not such a good idea. But, I mean, we've seen – that's the fascinating thing about guys like Harrison. We get to watch him grow up on the field. So great career. Um, I wouldn't blame him if he, if he wrapped it up at this point. I think a lot of fans and, and just NFL fans in general will remember him for some big plays he made, but I'll remember him as the guy who, and you have a funny story with this, but as the guy who knocked Matt Forte out of a Bears game with such a ridiculous hit, and I believe it was a receiving play where Matt Forte caught an underneath pass, and Forte's a big running back, and Harrison just leveled him. And what did Harrison have to say after that? Well, I, I joked with him afterwards that – because I had Matt Forte on a fantasy team. Yeah. And I said, dude, you ruined my fantasy team with that hit. And he just laughs and goes, I ruined mine. <laughs> <laughs> he had him on his team as well. And, and uh, yeah, it, I, I, I'm quite certain that that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And if it does, I'm sure it's just for chewing gum. Um, that's probably all it is. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a funny interaction at well, the time when that happened is, six, seven years ago. If this is it for him, how, I mean, what are you going to look back on and how, would you, how do you think of him in terms of the pantheon of NFL safeties? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's interesting with him is – I remember writing about this a couple of years ago and talked to Rick Gosselin down in Dallas who's on the Hall of Fame voting committee and is kind of a, a guy that has a big voice in that process, has had a big voice in that room and had a big voice in NFL coverage for a long time. And one of the things he brought up is – Guys that have all-decade teams, guys that have all-pros tend to have better chances. He does not have a ton of those because he played in an era with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and probably, I mean, I guess Ed Reed a little, but Palomalu, well, not so much in the in the heyday of things. But Earl Thomas probably cost him on the all-2010s team. Um, Eric Weddle would have been Eric in his Weddle, era. yep. Yep, that um, would be the other one. Yep. So Tyron Matthew, I think, took yeah. a couple spots from him on some stuff, all pros, yep. stuff like that. Yep, and I think the thing with him that as this conversation will happen about his legacy and what it's worth and, and how you remember him, the part of it that ties together for me is he is a guy that had he decided to be out there promoting himself, had he decided to be more active on social media, had he decided to be – more of a character that got more attention nationally he probably gets on a few more of those teams he gets maybe a few more pro bowl appearances just more recognition where people say oh yeah this guy's really really good and i think people know it but he just never had any interest in that and i think he knew probably yeah i could do that but that's not who i am that's not what i want to do i'm gonna play the way i want to play and we'll let the chips fall where they will and he was he he is we'll see if it's if it's if this is it or not but uh he's not dead we don't need to talk about him that way but a guy that does things his own way a guy that is very much uh an iconoclast i think in some ways thinks about things and and says well just because everybody thinks this is the way that it's supposed to happen doesn't mean that i have to and in fact may push me the other way more so than not so I think some of those things are what I would remember about him. Just kind of a – I mean, really have enjoyed covering him and, and kind of becoming 
he's the old guy in the room and you know if you you watch that happen over the course of 12 years it's a fascinating thing but um yeah just a guy that has kind of done it his own way for better or worse usually for better yeah let's we should talk about the young group that he was a part of jim you talk about you know how, how much fun can it be still going out there he was the oldest guy in that room by almost a decade yes like and his teammates got so much younger so quickly and he looked around and no one he grew up playing with was still around and I think we saw what happened. You know, this defense was playing incredibly well just a month ago. And they were destroying people. And they were on a long, great long run. And then they lose Murphy. And all of a sudden, it's like Harrison Smith, you know, with Cam Bynum trying to cover up all the quarterback inexperienced mistakes, busted coverages, and it just couldn't work anymore. And I think Byron, what we learned this year is Byron Murphy might not be a great player, but he was a vital player for this team. And when they lost him, they couldn't cover anybody. Yeah. Yep. I I um, caught up with Byron after the game here in Detroit where he was at, and he said he suffered a grade three MCL strain, the type that TJ Watt suffered in Pittsburgh on Saturday. Um, he said he didn't require surgery, um, but that had happened on the third play of that Bengals game. And then he played the rest of the game and then didn't play again for this team. Um, it's easy to remember the missed tackles and some of the missed opportunities he did have this year, but he had three picks, 13 pass deflections, was one of the only guys that could deflect a pass out of that corner group. And then once he was taken out, all of a sudden, Caleb Evans is getting benched in two of the last three games he's playing, and they're rotating through Jawan Williams, Jalen Williams, Jay Andrew Ward. Booth. Uh, yeah, Jay Ward getting thrown in there in some sub-package stuff because Theo Jackson all of a sudden became a loss that they couldn't uh, stand to, to have because they had to um, they used so many of their defensive backs in these sub-packages, but they have very few defensive backs you can hang your hat on and say, you know what? This is what they're going to build on. And Caleb was very – I talked to him after the game too, and he was very retrospective and kind of open about what he needed to do and, and learn from. He said not only physically, he said I wasn't moving as well this year as I should have. He said I need to just get in the books more and learn more about NFL defenses so I can react in split seconds better. I mean, that's honest and candid from a guy that's really young and honestly still – or obviously still growing in where he's at. But if you're in that front office, you can't be sitting there looking at this going, yeah, we're going to bank on that growth. Moving forward. They need to make up for the 2022 draft with the 2024 draft. They need to get... And the 2020 draft. And the 2020 draft. They've had had too many bad drafts. The the lack of depth showed up this year when the injuries started. And this is a team... we, We became used to talking about, oh, they need another offensive lineman. They need another offensive lineman. The reality is they've been investing heavily in the cornerback position for a long time, and now they have almost no cornerbacks. Yeah, I mean, and they've missed on yeah. a lot of corners. I mean, you go from, I mean, they took Trey Wayne's 12th overall in 15, turns into a serviceable starter. But 2016, it's Mackenzie Alexander. 2018, it's Mike Hughes. 2020, it's Jeff Gladney and Cam Dantzler. Um 2021, I don't think there was a corner in that mix, the third rounders that they missed on. But 2022, um, it 2022 was, was Booth, and Evans. Booth and Evans and Mackay Blackman this year. So from... Alexander to now, you have 2016, 2018, 2020, 2022, and 2023. So five drafts since then, they have taken a corner in the first or second round. And that does not include Cam Dantzler in the third or Caleb Evans in the fourth. So they have invested a lot of picks in the top four rounds in corners. Um, If you want to take it back... Trey Wayne's in 15, and that's getting to be a little old. These are not players you'd probably be counting on in 2024 at this point. But Trey Wayne's in 15. You had 
Xavier Rosen 13. I mean, there's been a lot of investments in the last decade in that position. And right now they have very little to show for it. And and to read off some names of why this is going to continue to be a problem, you've still got uh, DJ Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jaden Reed, uh, who seems like a great wide receiver, yeah. young wide receiver for Green Bay. Uh, and then potentially Caleb Williams joining this group. Christian with- Watson and maybe Marvin Harrison Jr., depending on how the Bears go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. yep, Marvin Harrison Jr. could be coming to the division. Like, I'm not saying you know, you're know you the Packers needing to load up to stop Randy Moss back in the 90s and, and 2000s, but right. this is a division that has a lot of great receivers that aren't just named Justin Jefferson. Yeah, and Jared Goff continues to be a productive quarterback. Jordan Love is improving quickly. The Bears may have Caleb Williams the league as a whole is not going to stop being one that tests you and exposes you exposes you if you don't have corners yeah and they're going to need to address that somehow uh this off season what else should we get to before we bid everybody adieu from this game what else stood out to you guys from i wasn't at kevin o'connell how did he take this loss i mean fairly pragmatically i guess fairly honestly i mean he he seemed to be fairly um realistic about what it was what it wasn't the players they'd lost um you know a lot about justin jefferson and just the appreciation of i mean i kind of asked him about the 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 moments on the sidelines and we've talked about it already a little bit but the the level of competitiveness the level of fire he saw he said he saw a lot of maturity from jefferson in terms of being able to play with multiple quarterbacks when you lose the guy that's thrown you basically every pass of your career in Kirk Cousins. Um, I, I think not shying away from the fact this is going to be a big offseason, not shying away from the fact that they just don't have enough right now. We'll hear more of this when he does his season-ending press conference this week, but he did not seem to be looking at it with rose-colored glasses, I didn't think. I, I thought he was fairly realistic about what they are and what they're not right now. Jim, what is your view of this team as they uh, depart for the offseason? I mean, we don't know what they're going to be next year. We don't know who's going to play quarterback. We don't know if they're going to get Cousins, whether they're going to let Cousins go and draft somebody, whether they're going to keep Cousins and draft somebody, which is the way I'd go right now. And, of course, you know, having said that, if you're going to spend your first-round pick on a quarterback, you're going to have a lot of holes to fill up, uh, either through shrewd free agency or excellent drafting, and we're not sure this front office can – accomplish that um you know they've made they've made some good moves but their drafts have not been good and the davenport uh signing destroyed them this year uh if they had had yeah. davenport uh combined with daniel hunter then they, you know, who knows they might win two or three more games uh even with all the injuries and everything else with the davenport signing killed them well and and the davenport signing kills them because Zedarius smith wants out and they knew it and that hurts because you've had pass rushers they haven't developed over the years um you know, dj wanham has come on but you know some of these guys they've drafted in the past patrick jones has been better but you know probably a rotational player there's really not a foundational pass rusher type and there haven't been investments on the defensive line at all i mean the last time they took a player at the top in the defensive line was 2013 with sharif floyd so they need to invest there too and we mentioned the quarterback thing right now and depending on by the time people are listening to this we'll know because all the late games are done but they're like 12 right now and can move up to 10 9 somewhere in there in terms of where the pick would be that'll get you a quarterback but say you want to get up to two or three 
to get somebody that you really love, knowing that the Bears have the number one pick and they can take whoever they want and they may not trade it to you. If you do that, you are going to have to give up a lot to get up there, which means you won't have a first-round pick to use on anything but a quarterback this year. You may be giving up a second. You may be giving up future firsts. It's a big – I mean, you have to do it. There's no way around it. But it is a big investment when you have this many other needs, and you may have to part with even more draft capital than just a top 12 pick to get it done. And that's why I go back to what I've been saying for months. Take Michael Penix Penix Jr. He'll be there right around 9 to 12. You don't have to trade up to get him. I think he might be better than the guys who go – top three you almost did the desmond howard thing where he was chanting big penix energy yes <laughs> won't uh, be the last one to goof that up no, yeah i, I will be screwing <laughs> intentionally that up. or unintentionally I, honestly i hope i will be in a position to screw up his name for a long time because i yeah. love the way that guy plays i'd love to see him here whether whether it's as an apprentice to kirk or as a you know throw him in and let him let him swim i i just love that guy last question watch him tomorrow night yeah Last question for you guys. Our listeners are going to want to know, going to get the experts' thoughts. Uh, how far is this Detroit team going? Well, how badly is Sam Laporta hurt? I mean, I, Dan Campbell big, didn't sound optimistic one. about it. No, that's a bad one for them. Uh, I really think there's only one exceptional team in the NFL, NFC right now. It's San Francisco when San Francisco's healthy. And I think they will be healthy uh, by the time they play again. So I like the Lions as much as any other team in the NFC other than a healthy San Francisco. And the Lions wouldn't have to play San Francisco until the NFC Championship right. game. So if they win in the first round and they take their controlled fury back down to Dallas in the second round, if that's the way, I mean, if it's chalk all the way through, yeah. um, that's what they'd get. Mm-hmm. And if somehow the Cowboys got beat, you probably then get the Eagles, I would think. Um, I. I think they can play with either of those teams. I, it's not unrealistic to me to see them in the NFC Championship game unless the injuries they sustain today are too big of a deal for them to get through it. But winning two games I, I don't think is too big of a stretch for them. Were the Vikings too much for the Lions to overcome and get through? We'll find out. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you all for checking this out. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com where we're going to have all of the season debriefing stuff. We'll have more on Harrison Smith. The Corners, Justin Jefferson, everything. And then please download all of our podcasts wherever you get podcasts.